You're listening to the Photographer's Story Podcast. I'm your host, Hark Najjar, and joining me is international photography business coach, Bernie Griffiths, as my co-host. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of uh, Photographer's Stories. Uh, today we have uh, David Williams uh, joining us uh, to tell us uh, all about his career. Bernie uh, as well. Uh, Bernie, how are you doing? Uh, you're down south? Yeah, doing well down here in Australia, Hark, and like you, Canadians who don't know what you're doing with the pandemic, but uh, we're just living the simple Australian life. Um, so uh, we wish you well in your journey out of the pandemic, but uh, we're rocking and rolling. Well, this has sort of become a, a running joke between us because uh, every time we talk, uh, there's some sort of a lockdown or telling us to stay at home. So this is where we are right now at the moment. Well, Hark, I had I had to actually say to a <clears throat> say to a couple of friends of mine back in Australia at some point. I said, "Are you trying to be like people from Florida? Like, really? Are you trying to be that obnoxious?" You know, and of course, in typical Australian style, they, they eventually got to the point of saying, "Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we should behave. Yeah, righto. You know." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. We do behave, and and uh, just to uh, give a bit of uh, insight into uh, our guest today, Hark, uh, David uh, used to have a studio in Melbourne, Australia, mate, and many years ago. So maybe we could start there, David, uh, about that studio and uh, a little bit about what you did in Australia. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I started off in photography um, when I was 17, and that sounds very very glamorous, but it was w working behind the counter at Kodak and um, in the retail store. And then I spent uh, what I call the wilderness years working for professional photographic laboratories, which was a very interesting exercise. And a couple of, couple of great stories come out of that, which was I remember um, back in the, correct me if I'm wrong, Bernie, the 80s, when everybody all of a sudden went mental for Leica M6s. In other words, you weren't a real photographer unless you used a Leica M6. And one of the interesting things that I'd like to share with the listeners is the fact that we're very quick to diss digital photography and say, oh, there's a whole lot of crap photographed on digital photography. Mate, I was there. I was there in film days. I remember what caca used to come through the laboratory. There was masses of it. There were a whole stack of people that couldn't even get their cameras in focus. So... Let's leave off the digital, shall we? Sorry, well, I digress. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I'm trying to recall what lab you work for, but my mind, although in my old age, a lot of the past has disappeared, some selectively, but um, I do remember the lab. Which, which one was it of the labs? Uh, the Edge? Uh, no, no, I never, I never had the privilege of working for the Edge lab. grade. Great bunch uh -huh. of people. No, um, no, I, I used to work for Townsend's and- um, Oh, of course. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was an interesting time, but I eventually, um, when that, uh, it sounds awful, but when that collapsed, I went out and opened my own studio. We were halfway through building it at the time and um, it was a bit of a scary, scary time, but it just goes to show you that uh, regardless of what happens, you can still move on. I um, uh, actually came up with an old photograph uh, Recently, I think doing into some research into you, David, and uh, I noticed there was a photograph uh, of your studio opening, and I got a bit peeved because I wasn't invited as one of your guests. I don't know why that should happen. I don't know why either, mate. <laughs> it would. <laughs> 
It, was, it wasn't because I thought you looked like a walnut or anything like that. It was, you know, it's just, it's just well, how I it see happened. all these other well-known photographers, and the only really well-known photographer missing is myself at, at the opening of your studio. Well, let's say there was one or two that I'd rather not have had there, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, as, it, as it happens, it was interesting because I was writing down some, some little notes about stories that I'd love to share with you. And, uh, you know, some of them are to do with that time, but yeah, the studio was great. I mean, one of the things that I'd, I'd like to, again, sort of share with people is that at the time I was saying to my, my then wife that, you know, I really want to rent a shop. I want to rent a shop and a dwelling. You know, we were currently renting a flat. And, uh, you know, that's really the go. And and my wife at the time sort of said, no, I think we should buy a house. And we bought a place um, in the suburb of Ashburton, which is um, has two sides to it, very Jekyll and Hyde. And we bought in the dump area. And um, the thing was, it was simple mathematics. We were able to put an extension on that, which was the equivalent of uh, a 16 by 20 foot studio with 16 foot ceilings, um, two bedrooms or the equivalent thereof, a workroom, bathroom, all that sort of stuff. And our mortgage was something like $400 a month at the time for that, that additional property. And of course, to rent a shop and dwelling would have been five to $600 a week at the same time. So to me, it was a no, no brainer situation because I think a lot of photographers at the time and still to a great extent are under the impression that having a very flash frontage studio is going to automatically have people come in off the street. And it's not always the case. You know, you very rarely will have somebody walk down the street and say, oh my God, that reminds me, I'd like to be photographed. <laughs> very true and, and from my own experience of uh, having sh uh, three shop fronts and a house uh, yeah uh, that's very true but that, that is a good point um and they all the, the other thing the assumption i think uh, photographers make david is also the fact that they think that people do actually phone and say i want my photographs taken and yes. we all know without marketing um nothing happens Exactly. And, you know, my wife was right on the nail when she sort of said, look, you know, all this photography thing is great, but if it all falls, we've still got a totally rentable property or we can divide it off from the main property and turn it into a granny flat. So it was, a, you know, again, a win-win kind of situation. But Bernie, I was thinking, you know, with your marketing prowess and, uh, you know, the wonderful success that you've had in the industry, I wanted to share a story with you, which... Um, I'm not sure that I have before, which was about my dad in the early days of photography in um, Brisbane. He started off in 1927 in a studio up there called HB Green and Sons. And um, they photographed everything. It was uh, during the depression, of course. And so you had to do pretty much anything that you could. And apparently, you know, they used uh, a great big uh, whole plate camera that took negatives that were six and a half by eight and a half. And so, you know, whacking great big negative and used, you know, flash powder. They mixed up themselves and terribly dangerous stuff. But dad was the assistant and also the second flash man. In other words, exactly like we do on weddings nowadays, you know, you have maybe a flash on camera, you have another flash mm -hmm. off camera and you're doing twin lighting, except it was done with flash powder. So imagine the scenario, you know, things are a bit tight that week. 
in the business. And so what they do is they wait until late in the evening and they go to the Trocadero in downtown Brisbane, which was a downstairs nightclub where couples on the make were known to hang out. In other words, guys that were cheating on their wives and wives that were cheating on their husbands. And they'd go down onto the landing in the stairwell and set the camera up and dad would go out into the audience and they'd go, boom, boom, you know, fire off the flash. And of course, everybody would have looked around to see what the commotion was of this camera being set up. And they'd quickly scurry out of the place, go back to the studio. And because they had such a whacking great big negative, they were able to draw out six by fours or five by sevens of pretty much every startled couple that was dancing <laughs> in the audience and put them in the shop window for sale, most of which went before four, you know, nine <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it's, it's excellent. Um, so there you go, folks. You know, high quality marketing trick there, you know. You know, quite often when photographers speak about the good old days and whatever, uh, I can recall uh, the camera or the film or the, the situation. That sort of flash that uh, you've seen a lot of cowboy movies where they hold up this, this flash thing and there's a flint in it like a cigarette lighter and you, you, you click it and the, the flint uh, causes a spark and a spark combusts a magnesium ribbon. I've actually used one of those, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah, believe yeah, that right. either, but I... <laughs> no, I believe but it, I mate. did. And that's how far I go back. And yeah. uh, my God, I'm feeling old. Getting back to you, David. So I, I just want to say something before you, you continue and tell us um, some more of your stories, but you have come through the industry. You haven't finished in the industry, but you've got all these wonderful awards. Uh, tell us some of your awards. Don't be too, uh, too shy and humble um, because uh, I've got a whole list. Uh, and All right. Um well, it's, it's interesting because it, it sort of leads on to one of the other things that I thought I'd chat about if it was all right with you, which was the whole subject of, of judging and the responsibilities that we have as far as that goes. Um, what, one of the things that I was determined to have a go at early on was, was the Royal Photographic Society. And um, so I went for my uh, associateship uh, and organized to be able to show them my associateship folio and my fellowship folio. Uh, basically, an associateship folio, I think at the time, was something like 15 prints and a um, fellowship was 20 prints, all 16, 20 mounted, you know, usual, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And they had to work together as a set and they had to work together compositionally. You actually sent them a plan of how you wanted it laid out for the judges to look at. And that that was a great achievement because that was associateship and fellowship on the same day, um, which was apparently a great rarity. Um, but I, I was enthusiastic about the whole uh, process of entry. And I think that, again, um, what do they call it? Tips for young players. I was in the right spot on my bell curve at the right place at the right time. In other words, I was doing work that was different, not different enough to freak out the, the current crop of judges and I was able to progress in certain ways um, with the photography to, to garner the awards. And um, I think one of the great ones was, and this actually came from 
indirectly from the laboratory, which was that the they sent me a task, uh, and Bernie knows the uh, the owner of this laboratory who's now uh, not with us, who was very uh, precise, a very pedantic kind of person and liked to do things absolutely properly. And he wanted to put in a black and white film processor. So he said, well, we have to know exactly how each one of the black and white films works. So we need you to expose, you know, 15 or 20 rolls of film and bracket it all and so on and so forth. So Williams in typical style thought, well, I'm not going to photograph a Shirley, you know, I'm going to get a little bit of fun with this. So I created a, a set which was a three-dimensional set. And we had a girl working for us who was very statuesque and thoroughly gorgeous. And we popped her into a, a very Baroque costume and then popped another little flash unit inside a, a glass ball. And she actually held this pose for 15 rolls of film without you know, too much movement. So I'm busily there popping the shit out of rolls of film off the Hasselblad. Anyway, one of those images, which we'd made as a test image, I sent across to the WPPI and it won what they had at that time, which was called the Grand Award. And the Grand Award was, you know, a Mamiya camera. It was a couple of thousand dollars. It was, you know, basically everything, you know, it was almost beer and prostitutes, you know, it was pretty amazing. But the thing was that um, that led me on to a wonderful relationship with Bill Herter, uh, who was then the editor of Rangefinder magazine and uh, also with WPPI and their membership. If you imagine that at the time, if you won something in the Australian Professional Photography Awards, you'd basically have a number of people who would come up to you and, and grudgingly congratulate you and say, yeah, but you know, they, they sort of like that bullshit now, you know, they try and put you down about it and all the rest of it. Whereas in America, they were actually happy for you. So <laughs> it was an interesting scenario, but, um, but anyway, uh, this, this led on to some very, very uh, interesting work with the judging over there because um, basically what I found out was that um and I was working on a panel with with the famous uh, Monty Zucker, who will be known to many of the older generation, not so much the younger people. And um, Monty was always trying to push things along, always trying to, you know, look at improvements in things and so forth, which I think for a man of his age at the time, which was uh, 60s, was a pretty remarkable kind of feat. And um, I remember looking at a photograph once that came up and I thought I've seen this picture before and I called Monty over and I said Monty you shot this picture like 10 years ago and he said it's a homage picture and sort of you know gave me a peculiar wink and I said oh okay mate righto and I and all my fellow judges gave it a hundred <laughs> and I said to Monty you know, this, this feels peculiar to me because it's something that we've seen before, but we're still rewarding it as though it was brand new, innovative, da-da-da. And to cut the story short, there were five others exactly the same. So, so these photographers had gone to the trouble of getting the same David Mayhew background, the same bridal dress, even the same hair tint in the model that they were using the same pose, the same lighting, 
because they wanted to achieve awards. And that's one of the things where I think Australia for many, many years was doing sterling work because they were rewarding innovation and excellence. And that's what really drove us on the international stage to be producing different work. So what, what happened with WPPI was that Bill said, well, I want you to get involved in the judging and you, I want you to run a panel for first time entrants. So it could be people that have just never entered the awards before, or it could be people who are just beginners. And the great thing of the, about the category was that you would have portraits in with weddings, in with landscapes, in with this, in with that, all mixed together, which meant that the judges didn't get stale because as you know, what can happen, and I'll, I'll branch out into another little half story here, which is one year we were given the engagement category to judge. And after, and I'm not exaggerating when I tell you this, after 63 portraits of a, of a man and a woman kissing in a graffiti-laden alleyway where she was leaning against the wall, he was leaning into her, the same friggin' picture, I literally had to get my judges to stand up, walk around the room, talk to people, you know, anything to, to not, you know, go nuts. So that was a, a great thing. And coming back to the, the Monty thing, what happened from that was I said, look, I'll do this providing you allow me to run the panel the way that I want to. And of course the question was, how's that? And I said, well, I want to take every single complaint that I've ever heard about judging and turn it on its head. They said, what do you mean? And I said, well, okay. So a judge sits there and very loudly says, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's I love it. I actually sat to a judge once who said, I love this. And if you don't agree with me, I'll see you outside and we can, we can fight over it. And I thought, this is the mentality of people judging professional photography. You know, I'm going to bully you about a result. How about you come up with why it is a great picture? Because the fact that you love it doesn't mean anything. It simply means that you've told the audience that they have to please you in order to enter and win something. So that was one particular aspect. The other thing was all panels suffered from the 10 o'clocks and the three and the two o'clocks. The 10 o'clocks were when they were all buzzed up and they just started and they thought, we're going to give everything friggin' awards. And the two o'clocks were when they just had lunch and they were all torpid like serpents that had just swallowed a baby goat. And they're just like 75, 75, 75, 75. Overworked that wasn't deserving of that. So the key to this was to have an active panel chair. And all the naysayers, of course, say, oh, that's a sixth judge. No, it isn't. It's a person who challenges the judges to be their best. And we did this very, very successfully for nigh on 10 years. And I made some enemies. And the enemies that I made were the people who I didn't want on my panel anyway, because they were the people that said, I love it, I love it, I love it. So anyway, it was a good exercise. And I think the best thing that I ever heard, and this is the greatest, you're asking me about awards. This was the greatest award I ever had, which was that initially the audience in the room for that category was three very disinterested people and somebody from a conference that had nothing to do with photography, but it was down the road and they got lost. We went to standing room only. 
we went to a situation where people said that those two days of judging were the best education that I'd ever had, including the conference. So that was the greatest accolade that I ever got. And are you still judging when there is judging? That would be two um, years ago. No, I've had a couple of years off from it. And okay. I'll tell you for why. I felt, I felt that I was getting out of touch or was having an inability to establish the concept of 80, like what, in other words, when the awards actually started. And that's, that's a difficult thing because if you're unable to, I think, create a benchmark for the judges to work to, then you, you can't necessarily guide them as well. And it goes into a free for all again. The other thing that's, that's uh, worth mentioning is that we also had a mixed panel of judges. And can you imagine like you have a traditional judge, photojournalistic judge, um, you know, a, a modern contemporary kind of photography judge, you have a printer and so forth. So what I was able to do with the panel is rather than just go by this, well, judge number two, you've scored the highest, so you have the right of reply. I was able to say, Tony, talk to us about the printing in this image when I knew that that was the most important part that needed to be spoken about. Looks like so I'm going to be uh, asking a few questions. Bernie just pointed it over to me. Um, yeah, did, 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 I'm did talking under wet cement. No, no, it's all right. In, in terms of your uh, judging, you've done a lot of uh, that. And uh, looking at your website, you do a lot of workshops and uh, education. Are you still continuing to do that uh, during these times, uh, during COVID, online workshops, or is this primarily uh, in-person only? No, mate, I, I haven't. I haven't actually been able to put a class together for probably about two years, maybe three years. Um, and I think, I think, uh, you know, wonderful facilities like creative live have put a big hole in, in education. Um, certainly what I was doing for about a decade, um, which was traveling around doing small workshops. Those are very much a thing of the past and it's a real sad state of affairs. And I think also what's what's terribly sad about it is that people are learning by three minute grabs. And matter of fact, what I have on my one of my uh, Facebook sites is I have little three minute grabs I call dim sum, um, but little tasty morsels. But the thing is that, um, you know, I'll give you an example. A friend of mine who teaches at one of the local colleges gave his students an assignment to uh, study Richard Avedon. And Richard Avedon, as we know, is one of the most prolific and fabulous fashion photographers and art photographers over decades and decades of work. So the students came back with almost exactly the same submission, which was three images representative, they thought, of his work and very much a, a desultory um, kind of paragraph. And that was it. That was their analysis of Avedon. Why was that? That was because that's exactly what came up on Google on their phones every time. In other words, not one of them apparently went to the library and took out the book that was freely available on Avedon or one of the many books that's, that's in the library at the college on Avedon and actually studied. So this is the same thing as happening in professional photography. 
And, you know, I, I still remember doing a presentation once in Vegas where I mentioned Richard Avedon and one chap put his hand up and said, don't you mean Peter Avedon? And I said, no, no, Richard Avedon. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, a, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing and there is no such thing as too much knowledge. Well, that, that's what the way things are right now with digital. Uh, we see so much imagery. We There's so much content out there that either we're copying it or we're looking at the different yeah. people's styles. Uh, how do you separate that from uh, between having the knowledge to create those images, the iconic images and being a, having mm -hmm. a commercial success? Because most of the people, like most of the photographers these days right now, unless you're making a living in, in the commercial space, uh, most of them are this retail photography. Uh, how do you sort of separate that genre between, do you have to have that, the, 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 the awards and the, the, the knowledge to be a successful portrait photographer? No, I think you have to have that to be a, be a different one. I mean, I don't actually think that commercial portrait photography has changed dramatically in 25 years. Um, you know, I'm, look, I'm looking at work and, you know, there's one particular organization that shall remain nameless where I look at their awards work and I'm thinking, I saw exactly this awards work in 1985 you know, it hasn't moved on. And, and I think it's largely because photographers spend an enormous amount of time copying other photographers or being worried about what the other photographer is doing instead of doing their own thing. And so consequently, this leads to an attitude of, oh, that's not going to sell. No, no, I'm not going to do that. I actually remember a photographer who, who again shall remain nameless, who uh, I showed some of the work that I, I really like doing. And he said to me, I oh, don't do that shit. You'll never make any money out of that. And it's funny because that exact same work, when I started to put it into competitions all around the world at last count, won me in different times, three Mamiya cameras, four Hasselblads and about $25,000. So all I have to say to that is, <laughs> Why this is this is a, going to be an audio podcast? So you got to tell them exactly yes. what you're giving them. Let's I was just, I was let's, flipping let's the bird say, with both hands. You I'm know? just going to say, let's just say David is giving yeah. the two finger salute. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so the, the thing is that um, we and Bernie's a great one for this in terms of, you know, saying, well, why can't you do that? You know, like who's who's stopping you? You know, it's only us that are stopping us. And I I, I was going to give you a visual example which of course I realize is useless to the podcast people, but you know, we, we don't, I think allow ourselves enough time to play the, the greatest gift that digital ever gave us was not the ability to be able to do anything we wanted to with a file. It gave us the ability to experiment without it costing us any money. And this is, this is one of the factors that I think is terribly lost on so many photographers. And, um, you know, like a classic example is when I first started working with digital, um, I remember photographing a bride's, the ed edge of a bride's dress moving on the dance floor. And I shot maybe 50 images of it, you know, with various shutter drags and all that sort of stuff and various, you know, flash and all that sort of shit. And I never would have done that with film. I never would have experimented. I would have played safe because 
whoever was was you know training or one of the people who was training at the time would have been saying something like remember every time you press the shutter it's five dollars <laughs> and of course yeah. that was designed to make us shoot less and shoot well which was a good thing but it ultimately stymies you and and there's actually i don't know if we got time for this little story which i think would be a great a great insert at this point speaking of um, stories I, I, I was just actually going to ask you something for yeah. your silliest mistakes you, you've had a varied career in the past tell us some of the silliest mistake that you've made thought okay why the heck did i do that Oh, mate, I do that every day. I do that every day. It's like the number of times I bring, you know, I'm sort of getting all very cool in a portrait session, you know, and, and I bring the camera up to my eye and the subject's going, lens cap, lens cap, lens cap's on. Got your lens cap on. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah, hire a professional. That's what I reckon. But uh, but no, one of, one of the... Um, I'm just was trying to think about that. I think I make a fool of myself at regular intervals and it's, um, it's part of my, my shtick, I think for disarming people because I'm such a klutz. I fall over light stands and, you know, I'm a bit like a baby horse, you know, that's just been born. But anyway, um, but the story I wanted to, to share with you is actually a really good one. And, and um, Hark, you'll appreciate this. I'm sure with your background, Kodak, um, got me on board in 1998 to shoot the promotional work for the Kodak Portra color negative film series. And it was, uh, again, talking about achievements, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing to be recognized because they'd, they'd only done it once before in the whole history of Kodak Australasia content for a promotional um, brochure and so forth. So once again, they sort of said to me, well, what would you like to photograph? And I said, well, I think we should um, do obviously wedding pictures. And I think we should do portrait pictures, but we should tap into a little style of thing that I'm doing, which is called, I call it masterworks, which is very nice and pretentious, which were pictures in homage to the old masters. And I said, we need to photograph some of the very prominent um, master photographers in Australia in costume to represent these different film types. So that was part of it. And it was a great, great, wonderful, wonderful exercise. What the best part of it was, was afterwards they said, we want you to go and visit the various countries that we have influence in and do a lecture series. So I was sent tootling around to the Philippines, uh, to Vietnam, uh, to India and, and um, Indonesia and so forth. It was just just wonderful. And and the story actually concerns India, which I loved and adored and and, and still do. And um, I was taken around by a chap from Bombay called Vilas. And and Vilas was a wonderful, gentle, kind man. And of course I was only there for like about a week and I had to go and I'll use the old names, I'm sorry, but I, I had to start off in Delhi and then go to Bombay and then Madras. And so one of the things that I learned was that everybody in India to be a professional photographer uses five lights. They don't always know how to use the five lights, but to be a professional, you have to use five lights. Now this I know is causing a little smirk on Bernie's face because he knows I'm Mr. One light man. You know, if I've got more than two lights, I'll basically take one out or open the door or something like that. So anyway, I get taken to the studio and 
I've been told that this is a, you know, very good studio. The gentleman employs about 80 people. And, um, and I thought, Ooh, this is going to be exciting. And I'm aware culturally that it's most appropriate for a visitor to be kept waiting a little while. I got kept waiting a very long while. <laughs> so I thought this is interesting. And when the gentleman came in, he was rather full figured. He was wearing a purple body shirt that was opened down to just below his bosoms and, you know, a very, very smart gold chain. And he had his hair coiffed into a, like an Elvis kind of hairstyle. And he leant on his desk. He was initially ushered in by the way, by two other flunkies that came in first and he swept into the room, sat down at his desk and then leant forward on the desk. And I had been given a seat that was actually a good six to eight inches lower in height than his seat. And I thought, this is all very interesting. I'm familiar with this. So he then leant on the table and I, I won't do the accent, but he said, so you want to learn all about Indian photography in five minutes. Is that correct? And all I could think of was you asshole. And anyway, I said, oh, certainly. Yes, I'd love to. So he took me around the studio. And as you know, in, in, in um, certain parts of India, the power goes on or did used to go on and off at regular intervals. And he opens up and says, this is studio number one. He opens up the door and for a brief instant, I see a pyramidal grouping of a family posed up and the lights go off. And so we're talking in the hallway. And um, then I hear this lovely sound. It was like, chick -chick 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 -chick, like this and girls laughter and so forth. And so I, I just leaned over to, to look in another doorway and there was two beautiful women in Saudi and one was clapping and the other one was spinning. And he comes into the room, sweeps into the room and says, stop that, stop that. You know, here, that's not appropriate behavior. Here, I will show you what I do. And so he gets a camera, which is handed to him by another flunky. And I realized by this time that all of the lights moved of their own accord because they actually had a person holding them. He had human light stands. Voice activated because light that, stands. <laughs> yeah, because that was how you learned how to be a professional photographer. So what he did was he then stopped this girl who was already extraordinarily beautiful, who was in the midst of, of you know, performing a, a beautiful dance to the, just the hand claps and the sound of bells off, off a friend's dress. And he stopped her and he twisted her and he brought her shoulder forward and then twisted her head back and then brought her, her chin across over onto the shoulder and then coaxed what I can only describe as a leer out of her rather than a smile. And he said, see that is the sort of quality of photography that we do here. And I learned that he did betrothal portraits. That was the bulk part of his business. So, you know, Hark, as you would know, it's a, you know, six by four of head and shoulders picture. And on the back is the person's name, their parents, their qualifications at university, all the rest of it. Well, I found out later on that apparently if you're, if you have one of the cards, of a person that you like, who's been photographed by this studio, don't worry because they look better in real life. Anyway, the point was, 
as we went back to the hallway, the lights came back on again, and there is the family still sitting in the pyramidal position, sweating profusely in studio number one. Why am I telling you this? Because two reasons. Number one, in this photographic industry, don't be an asshole because somebody is going to tell a story about you on a podcast. The other reason why I'm telling you this is because of five lights. We moved down to Madras and I said to Vilas as we were leaving the studio, uh, I said, gosh, that guy was a wanker. And he said, I have to apologize to you, David, because I need to introduce you to a few more wankers. But anyway, we went down to Madras and they were, as he said, the loveliest people in the world. They were so warm and generous and so forth. And at one stage, what I was thinking of was the photographers, some of them that have come along are what Kodak used to call survivalist photographers. In other words, there were people that used to photograph at temples and so forth, photograph you at a temple. They would use exhausted chemicals to make a print for you and so forth. And these people had to actually submit, I think it was the ends of two five roll boxes of film in order to, to come. Some of them had been on a train for three days to be there. And so there was a huge responsibility and there was a huge quantity of lights there for me to use. And instead what I did was I picked out one nice little weedy one and used that. And then I had a, um, what do you call it? A sun blocker for, for a car that I used as a reflector. And they had a beautiful Indian model that looked like she'd just walked, been chiseled off the wall at one of those temples with all the erotic um, <laughs> models in it. And she was gorgeous. And I photographed her on the bottom of this little staircase with the little reflector and so forth and the little light. And I also had a little Sunpak flash gun with a peanut slave on it that I put in the background to light up the stairwell with a piece of unexposed but processed film wrapped around it. And so I shot a piece of Kodak Roid. We had to call it Kodak Roid because you weren't allowed to say Polaroid. And so people would say, but there's no such thing. And you go, yes, there is. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Monty Python. Anyway, so we did this Polaroid, pulled it apart, passed it through the crowd. And there was, you know, people go, oh, 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 wow. Oh, 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 that's great. Oh, and it went right through the crowd. And then, Eventually, it came back to me. And by that time, it looked like it had been used to wipe somebody's bottom and all that sort of stuff. It was creased and crinkled and stained and torn and all the rest of it. And it came back to me and this gentleman who was holding it up said, said to me, David, or Mr. David, this is a wonderful photograph. But I have to say to you, it is not a professional photograph. And I said, why is that, sir? And he said, because you haven't used five lights. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. Anyway, as we, as we left that particular conference, Vilas turned to me and said, you know the gentleman that was holding your reflector? And I said, yeah, he was a great guy. He was really nice, very humble. And he said, he can buy and sell that guy in Delhi 20 times over. <laughs> that must have been an amazing experience to, uh, to have done that, to go oh, around yeah. India and, yeah. and, uh, in those days. And... Hmm. Uh, I, I, I guess most photographers we speak to in this podcast, uh, regardless of where they, they end up and, and what their journey is, um, most of them start photographing weddings. And I guess you've photographed the odd wedding 
David. Uh, have you got a couple of stories about uh, photographing weddings? Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, I remember going for a job with um, one of the uh, top photographers in Melbourne at the time. Um, forgive me for not not remember. Oh, Robert Piccoli, that's right. And Robert very graciously deigned to see me, looked at my work and said, yeah, but I can't use you. And I said, oh, okay, why? And he said, because you photograph a series of portraits. You don't actually photograph weddings. And one of the things that intrigued me was I'd seen the shot lists and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, oh, great. You know, okay, so there's a ton that I'm missing out on. And the most important bit of information that I ever got was from a New Zealand photographer called Tony Wincup. And I'd worked with Tony and met him through Mike Langford, um, who was also a New Zealand photographer. And Tony was an anthropologist. And I said to him, after looking at his work one day, I said, your weddings are absolutely fabulous. I said, what's your, what's your trick? And what was interesting was most of the pictures were horizontal. And he said, well, firstly, I photograph the way that we see. You know, a vertical is relatively unnatural. And he said, I photograph like an anthropologist. In other words, a wedding, and this is probably the one, the thing that still stays with me. He said, a wedding is a social ritual. What, what is the makeup of the ritual? Like what happens? Who are the important people in the ritual? What are the trappings of the ritual? Photograph those and that's how you photograph a wedding. And so to me, that was, that was a marvelous eye opener. And it wasn't really until I got to Toronto and started photographing beautiful, um, happy, energetic, high-end Jewish weddings that I, that I understood so much more about this process. But it, it even came down to, and this is something that I'd, I like to think I developed quite strongly in, in Melbourne, which was photographing detail miniatures. I think everybody photographed little close-ups of things, but very few people structured them together the way that, that I did, which was I used them as um, chapter dividers in wedding albums. So for example, your opening page might be a representation of the feeling of the day. In other words, what people ate, where it was, was it sunny? Was it windy? Was it this? Was it that? And I'll give you a little example of this thought process, which is, and it's photographing more cine cinematically, which is how do you photograph? Sorry, I'll go back a step. You need to photograph a wedding to be able to show it to somebody who's never been to a wedding and have them fully understand it. Now, a classic example of that is when I look at many weddings in other cultures, I have to ask questions like, what does this mean? What does that mean? What's happening now? And generally speaking, it's because when somebody explains it to me, it's because they're very, very familiar with it. Therefore, what happens is familiar, familiarity breeds contempt. And contempt is not the right word in this circumstance. But familiarity often means, oh, well, I don't bother with that because everybody knows it already. It's like, for example, you know, um, what 
defines the difference between a Jewish, sorry, a Catholic church and an Anglican church. Well, there are stations of the cross, you know, in a Catholic church for a start off. There are different vestments that the priests wear. There are different uh, processes and so forth. If you're a Catholic, most photographers would think, well, why would I be bothered to photograph that? They don't care about it. And I think that's the big mistake that we make is we photograph it thinking everybody knows what's going on. You see, um, and I'll just elaborate on that for one moment, which is photographers spend far too much time trying to impress other photographers. I am convinced that the first person who photographed a bride and groom, or certainly the 20th person that photographed a bride and groom sitting on a red couch in the middle of a wheat field, somehow missed the concept about what the wedding was all about. And that was brought home to me every single Jewish wedding that I photographed, because you know what the most important photograph was there? No matter how liberal this particular family was, was the group portrait of the family. Because the booby and the Zadie would sit in the middle of that and basically, if they didn't say it out loud, it would be said for them, which is, look how we survived, look what we made. And you realized that the, every single damn wedding in that family since the old, end of World War II was the celebration of survival. You know, in, a, in the average Australian Skippy wedding, it's how quickly can we get pissed? <laughs> yes. Right, different. You know, oh, let's go and do something really outrageous. How about we go down to the bathing boxes at Brighton Beach, and then I want to go to Parliament House. Yeah. You know, Bernie, you and I used to hear this all the time. People would say this was the kicker. They used to say, "I want to, I want to do something different." Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you'd say, "Oh, great! What, what do you want to do that's different?" They say, "Oh, yeah, we want to go to the bathing boxes at Brighton Beach, and then we want to go to Parliament House." And then we want to walk down the tram tracks in, in Collins street. And you're thinking like, yeah, like everybody else that's, you know, like, what about your friends? What about your family? Oh yeah, they're all right. And you yeah. realize that what people were doing was that they were creating a wedding or they were photographing a wedding as a performance. Yeah. Very true. Uh, exactly. Um, but we won't say that to them. Yeah, we will. <laughs> See, here's the thing is that I've, I've, you know, they do it, they do a beautiful job. But I mean, man, the people that do that well, they can, they can outshoot me with one eyeball tied behind their back. No two ways about it. They do a beautiful job, but it's not what I do. Yeah. You know, and, and here's the thing. I want somebody to look back at a wedding album that I've shot in, um, say, two or three generations time and know what it felt like. Mm. and know who you know who was important and who was appreciated and who was loved and all this sort of thing and you know what kind of food people ate at the at the actual um, reception this kind of thing and you know to that little end you know how we photograph it's a simple little exercise it's like how do you photograph for example I'll, you write the line how do you photograph it was a, a beautiful day at the beach uh, with a cool breeze. See, filmmakers do it all the time. They'll pan down to somebody's feet or toes digging into the sand as the water laps up to them and fills up the little holes that they dig out. It'll then pan up 
to a little wisp of hair on the side of the woman's face fluttering in the breeze. And this is before you've even seen somebody's face. But you're being told it's a beautiful sunny day at the beach with a light breeze. Now, we don't photograph that because we think, ah, oh, shit, everybody knows what that's like. Mm. But that's not what we're here for. <laughs> so in the words of uh, Barry Manilow, feelings, nothing more than feelings. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah. Well, I, I just thought of a funny story I wanted to share with you guys about my first visit to Las Vegas. And um, there's actually two parts to it. But the first part is that I go to this particular um, venue, which was the Rio. And the Rio was the size of an entire suburb. It was enormous. And I'm jet lagged as buggery. And I walk into this foyer area and all of a sudden the wall opens up and this Mardi Gras live comes out of the wall, you know, and, and circles around, you know, friggin' balloons and stuff like that. It was just quite extraordinary. And then everybody just wanders off. And these passageways that seemed like kilometers long. And I walked down this particular, um, this particular corridor and um, anyway, eventually got to where the WPPI was meeting. And this, this wonderful little Midwest couple sort of came up to me, you know, like, like little pair, matching pair, you know, they said, Oh, good day, Dave. You know, how you doing? You know, this kind of thing. And, um, we're looking forward to going to Australia, you know, like this. And I can't do the accent. I'm sorry. And then I say, Oh yeah, it would be great. You know, it'd be great if we can see you down there. And, and, you know, I, I sort of got the hint that they were not just Midwest, but they were also probably quite religious people and all that sort of stuff. And so I was minding my P's and Q's and trying not to say fuck as many times as I normally do. And anyway, at one particular stage, I said, well, I, I need to go because I, I've got to go and check out the room that I'm going to be presenting in. And they said, oh, you're presenting. Oh, great. Well, we'll be rooting for you. Now, of course, rooting in North America means cheering on. In Australia, it means having sex in the back of a car. And of course, I, you know, I have that little devil, you know, sitting on each shoulder, the devil and the angel kind of thing. And without even thinking, I said, look, just rubbing noses will be fine. But anyway, I walked off and I, I don't know whether you remember the, they have these massive security ladies there. They're like square people that have these uniforms with little bow ties, you know, and these jackets that are very taut over their powder pigeon figures. And they have, you know, these little hairdos that have look, look like they're made out of wire and they have a mouth like a razor cut usually and this little badge that's totally indeterminate. And I went up to one of them and, and this is where I first understood the power of conversation. And I went up to one of them and, and said, oh, is it okay if I go down that hallway and, and you know, check out the room that I'm, I'm going to be presenting in there, you know, because I'm like a boy from the bush kind of thing. This is the big smoke, you know, so I've got to mind my P's and Q's and all that sort of stuff. Well, this towering woman visibly shook and ever so slightly moaned. And she said, honey, with an accent like that, you can go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, yeah, <laughs> so that was the little uh, little Vegas thing. Sorry, well, lots Talk of about stories, funny stories. Absolutely, no. This is a, this is great. Unfortunately, the time's going to be uh, 
our, our enemy looking at about an hour into the podcast. So, but before we let you go, we typically put you uh, at least one of our guests into uh, a hot seat and Bernie is going to be firing uh, rapid fire questions at you. Bernie, I don't know if you warn uh, David on this, but uh, I think well, you know, maybe, you did, so. maybe I didn't warn him. Did I thought you had, huh? No, no, he, he's my uh, fellow uh, countryman right now. So I. I, I well, do you sure want he's... to do you want to sort of uh, warm him up about what's about to happen? Well, what's about to happen? You got uh, questions coming up. You, you only have one uh, one word answers to it, and uh, if you can pass through all this uh, uh, questionnaire, Bernie's got a very very nice prize waiting you at the end. Uh, it's going to be a. Prize uh, going to Texas. Uh, Bernie's hosting um, a group get together in Texas, and he's paying all expenses, paid trip uh, for you uh, to uh, go to Texas. So hopefully you'll make it. Uh, none of the guests have made it so far. Uh, let's see if you've got the uh, the smarts to uh, win a trip to Texas, Bernie. Well, that's nice. I was expecting a thirty by forty inch canvas, but anyway. Yeah, oh, Bernie. There's, there's that as well. Yeah, of me. Yeah, signed. Uh, well. Well, thanks, Hawk. Uh, you put the pressure back on me. Uh, about excellent. time. Yeah. Good work. <laughs> yeah. About time. But here we go. One word answers. Uh, just a, a, a quick finish uh, to uh, uh, just uh, close the podcast down. Uh, favorite. Just a what? Just a warning, by the way. I'm very, very good at doing an imitation uh, Zoom call freeze. You know, when I don't okay. want to answer something like. Right. <laughs> Okay, favorite alcoholic drink? I don't drink. What, what animal are you afraid of? Bears. What's your favorite city in the world? Florence. What sport do you play? Gelling with the ladies occasionally. Uh, whose photographer's work do you love the best? Richard Avedon. If you could have dinner with one-on-one -on -one with any person in the world, living or dead, who would it be? Richard Avedon. What's your favorite movie? Amelie. Favorite camera you ever owned? Twin lens Rolleiflex. Would you like to relive your life, yes or no? No. Favorite food? Vietnamese foot. What are you allergic to? Assholes. Favorite animal? A uh, quokka. Who would you like to be if you weren't you? I'm happy being Mrs. Williams's little boy. If you hadn't been a photographer, what would you like to have been? I would have liked to have been a painter. And what's your motivation that gets you out of bed every morning? Hmm, that's a good one. Bear ass need for survival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. don't, don't we all? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fantastic, David. It's been great. Of course, you did fail. You don't get the prize because uh, some of those were longer answers than required, but whew, that Thank was God very close. Huh? Thank God for Bernie. I, I, think it's, I think it's a bullshit prize. I don't think it exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you'll never Texas. know. You'll never know. Texas. We are, we yeah, are sure. planning it, David, truly. Um, uh, I have four clients who I coach in Texas and we are planning it. In fact, they're planning it. Uh, when we can fly and when we can get to 
Texas, uh, certainly you'll be invited, but hopefully <laughs> I, I was you'll be say, able give, to give, drive there. Given the, given the current conditions in uh, in what's happening in Ontario, they might not even let us in. Yeah. It, it used See, to be the other way around, but now they won't let us in. <laughs> well, now... Ladies and gentlemen, I think I should mention to you, I can see the top of Bernie's table from here and he has he has a little sticker on the table that says Texas and another little sticker that says prize. And I think he's sort of moving one towards the other. Right. And that's really, you know, what has to happen. It's like, there isn't a real <laughs> Yeah, prize. well, it's going to happen, all right. Um, we've got We're to have something it. to look forward to, it, exactly. uh, albeit at the end of the year, 2021, we hope. So, uh, David, thank you. It's been great. I know it's late in Canada uh, and I'm going to let you guys go to bed. But thanks for Just your time and thanks for the podcast recording, Hawk. It is, David. Thank you very much. Is there, uh, just before you go, uh, is there a place that you would like our uh, listeners to go to, your website uh, or Instagram or any other social platform that you want uh, to send our listeners to? Uh, yeah, look look, look me up on, um, probably the most fun thing to look up, I think, would be uh, David Williams' uh, Inspiration, I think, on Facebook. And um That'll, what I do is I post things on there that are just interesting things to do with art uh, and design and so forth and uh, other photographers. And you'll also find my th uh, five little episodes of Dim Sum on there. So Amazing. I'm pretty sure it's Dave, David Williams' inspiration. If you give me one sec, I can look that up and double on, check. On Facebook. Yeah, so it's David Anthony Williams. And I'm just looking it up now. What you'll see on there is ideas from other photographers. You'll see interesting little uh, art bits and pieces, things to do with inspiration. You'll also see my five little uh, dim sum film clips. They're little three minute film clips on either art or other photographers. There's one on Abaddon, uh, one on John Singer Sargent, and one on Eric Miola. David, thank you, very, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to uh, speak with us. Uh, and uh, hopefully we can have you back in and uh, listen to some more of your story. Thank you. Thanks, Possums. <laughs>